Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of 1 John. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail those questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here's Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're beginning our study in the John epistles, the epistles of John. They call them Johannan, the Johannan epistles. And to make it easier, we'll just call it the epistles of John. And that's 1 John, 2 John, and third John, those are the epistles of John. Now, John, the apostle, also wrote the gospel according to John, and he wrote the book of Revelation, or the revelation of Jesus Christ. It was not the revelation of St. John the Divine, as they called it, but it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so as we begin our study of 1 John, we want to give you the introduction before we get into the word. John is credited as the writer of these epistles in all sorts of um, external evidence, that is, external from the Word of God. The church fathers used this epistle They regarded it as authoritative, and they attributed it to the Apostle John. So if you look at the writings of Polycarp, Papias, Irenaeus, Origen, Cyprian, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, and Eusebius, they all attribute this book to the Apostle John. The book itself is anonymous. It doesn't say, Hi, I'm John. I'm writing this epistle. But it has a similarity of vocabulary, thought, phrases, style. All of those things are close to the Gospel of John, and they provide an argument for the same author besides all of the external evidence that we have Uh, from the church fathers. There are a number of distinctive words are common to the gospel, which is attributed to John, and 1 John as well. Father, Son, Spirit, Beginning, Word, Believe, Life, Keep, Light, Commandment, Love, Abide, Paraclete, all of those, and phrases as well, to do the truth, To walk in darkness, children of God, to be born of God, children of the devil, to pass from death to life, the spirit of truth, the only begotten Son, no man has ever seen God, the Savior of the world, the water and the blood. All of those phrases are in both volumes. The opening verse not only echoes the first verse of the Gospel of John, but it reveals the fact that the author was an eyewitness to both the pre-Calvary and the post-resurrection ministries of Christ. 
and John easily qualifies as this eyewitness. If we look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Irenaeus claimed that John lived his senior years in Ephesus, serving as the general bishop or overseer of the area churches. He had become aware that anti-Christian teachers had penetrated the assemblies and or developed within the ranks of the church membership. And after influencing some of the believers, some of these apostates had withdrawn physically from the churches. Their heresy centered about the person of Christ. They denied that Jesus was the Christ and that God the Son had become incarnate. They did not believe that Jesus was who he was and who he said he was. He was the very Son of God, and they denied that. It was a denial of the union of the two natures, the human and the divine, into the one person of Jesus. This heresy possessed the nature of Gnosticism that became mature in the second century, some have equated it with either uh, the uh, Cerinthian Gnosticism or Docetic Gnosticism. Uh, Docetic Gnosticism taught that Christ appeared as a real man, but he was not. He didn't have real material body. Rather, his appearances were similar to the Theophanies or Christophanies of the Old Testament. Cerinthius, on the other hand, taught that the spirit of the divine Christ descended upon the man of Jesus at the uh, baptism of Jesus, it indwelt him for the duration of his ministry and left him shortly before he was crucified. He contended that Jesus was both, born naturally, I should say, of both Mary and Joseph. He did not believe in a virgin birth. So we see that both views of Gnosticism attack the nature of the person of Christ, especially his incarnation and indirectly it attacked the value of his atonement. In other words, how could he be the Savior when he was just a human? The verbs heard and seen are both in the Greek perfect tense and the verbs looked upon and handled are in the aorist tense. In refutation of the Gnostic heresy, John employed the change of tense to show that he heard and saw the incarnate Christ and that he looked upon and actually touched his resurrection body. And that is from the verse, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. In addition to facing doctrinal attacks, the individual believers were in poor spiritual condition. They had a tendency towards sin and worldliness. They had a lack of love for the brethren and an indifference toward their physical needs. They had a lack of assurance of personal salvation. Arrhenius claimed that these errors of moral laxity stemmed from the Nicolaitans who originated from Nicholas. And you can find out about that in Acts chapter 6 or in Revelation chapter 2. So it was out of a genuine concern for the spiritual children for whom he was responsible that John wrote this epistle. It was probably written as a circular letter. This is like the newsletters or prayer letters that you get from a missionary these days. That uh, It's printed out and it gets more than one circulation. 
And uh, that's probably how this was written as well, although it certainly was not printed. It was handwritten. And it came from Ephesus, where John was attached, somewhere in 85 to 95, uh, the year of our Lord. And so it uh, went to the believers of the Roman province of Asia, including the churches mentioned in the book of Revelation. It's hard to outline the book, of course. He didn't move from one subject to another, but he interwove several themes throughout the book. When we look at 1 John, and it is the longest of the epistles, we see the concepts of love, obedience, assurance, and faith, and they're all discussed side by side, so you can't just say, you know, point one is love, point two is obedience, etc. There is certain emphasis, however, detectable at times, and so there's a listing of the purposes, I guess you could say. He wanted to present the physical reality of Christ's incarnate body, and that we can find in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He wanted to outline the relationship of sin to the believer in verses 5 of chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 6. To emphasize the necessity of love for the brethren in chapter 2, verse 7 through 11, and in chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. John wanted to appeal for separation from the world. Chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. He wanted to warn against false teachers, chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. John wanted to stimulate moral purity, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. He wanted to present tests that would demonstrate the actuality of personal salvation, verses 13 through 24 of chapter 3. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, John wanted to show how to distinguish between truth and error. And he wanted to set forth the results of faith in Christ in chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and to give assurance of that salvation in chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. So when we study and read through 1 John, we'll see that he introduces four major purposes with such words as, These things write we unto you. And in doing that, he dealt with the joy of spiritual fellowship. He admonished them to sin less. He warned against seducing heretics. And he presented assurance of eternal life. And so that's important for us to keep in mind as we look through First John. And so we begin to survey First John by reading the first chapter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Notice where John is taking us. He immediately claims that Jesus Christ was eternal. 
from the beginning. He claims that Jesus Christ was a person separate from the Father. The term with the Father is used here. And that Christ became incarnate. That means wrapped in flesh. And that's the term was manifested for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness. Verse 2. He was presenting empirical proof that Jesus Christ possessed a real material human body both before and after his death and resurrection. That's the reason why he used such terms as heard and seen and looked upon and handled. And we see that true spiritual fellowship can only be experienced when one has a proper understanding and evaluation of Christ himself as a person. Such fellowship involves at least two believers, the Father and the Son, in proper relationship with each other. And these things write we unto you in verse 4, that your joy may be full. So let's, let's look at these four verses again, perhaps reading them a little more slowly, because if God has sent to me and to you a directive, a missive, a letter that tells us how we can have joy that is absolutely full and overflowing, then we should take note, shouldn't we? We should be wanting that joy that is full. I come across so many people from time to time that have such little joy. Uh, when I encounter them in a store, for example, and quite honestly, I don't have much of a social life. I realize that. I'm, I'm always on the go and always busy, uh, unless I just <laughs> crash. But uh, even though I don't have much of a social life, I get to see a lot of people. And when I see them, I, I like to... Well, I guess I like to use my, what I think is a sense of humor. Most people don't see it that way. But I like to have people put a smile on their face. I found out a long time ago that I have a hard time helping people to smile, but God can make people smile. And it's the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. It's the joy of the Lord that makes us able, gives us the ability to do the work that God has called us to do and to live the life that he's called us to live. So let's look at these four verses again because these things are written to us that our joy may be full. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Jesus Christ is being presented in his fullness. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. So our fellowship with Jesus Christ and with the Father brings us into full joy. When we talk about people who are willfully sinning, 
we talk about them losing their fellowship with God. According to what John is writing here in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the loss of fellowship with God is the same as losing your joy, and you will never have fullness of joy unless you have a proper relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so, my friend, if you're at that point of not having the fellowship that you should have, you either, A, need to come to faith in Jesus Christ and receive the gift of salvation that he has for you, or, B, you need to renew your commitment and forsake your sin. If you're in Christ, you are being a wayward child. You need to give up that waywardness, and you need to be the prodigal who returns to the Father. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We're not going to be able to exposit all of these verses in this session, but Lord willing, next session will continue. But let's get as far as we can. We know that uh, darkness and light do not and cannot coexist. There's not a single bit of moral darkness in Almighty God. God is moral purity 100%, and if we could say 1,000% or 1,000,000%, we would be saying that because there is not one speck of impurity with God. He is moral purity personified. I remember years ago, pastoring a little church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And in that church, there was a deacon who worked for a tire company, in a town outside of Fort Wayne. And they made tires, and he was one of their engineers. Apparently, he was high in the order of workers. And he invited me to come and to see the plant someday. And so I went and saw the plant, took a tour. And he showed me through, and I, to this day, appreciate his kindness in doing so. And he showed me through, and he showed me where they made white tires, totally white 
tires. It was in a building separate with all sorts of air cleaners and everything, separate from where they make the black tires because they have to put this carbon black into the tire uh, manufacturing process to make black tires. They have to force black onto white to make the black tires black. Now, you could have multicolored, cream-colored, and every other kind of colors, I guess, if you didn't watch your process. But in his situation, he was showing me the white tires, and they had to keep the black from the white to keep it pure, and vice versa. Had to keep the white from the black to keep it pure as well. God doesn't have to keep anything away from him because he is purity without question. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is the Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. That's the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible Class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.